So today is Palm Sunday, which marks the day when Jesus went into the city of Jerusalem at the end of his earthly ministry. Uh, The crowd goes wild for Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. They lay their coats on the ground. They lay their palm branches on the ground so that he can walk on this red carpet and walk into Jerusalem. This is also known as the uh, triumphal entry. Uh, the irony of this whole thing is the fact that Jesus knew that despite all the fans, all the people singing his praises, that he was going to be rejected and he was going to be killed later that week. And so next Sunday, uh, we celebrate the fact that though he is rejected and killed, that he is in the grave for three days, he resurrects uh, to life, conquering Satan, sin, and death for us. And we celebrate the fact that God became man He dwelt among us, and he lived perfectly the life that we can't live. Um, And then he died the death that we deserve, not him, as our substitution in our place, only to resurrect, uh, defeating uh, the enemy for us. And so we're so thankful for that. And so we've been talking uh, about resurrection here as a church, that we can have life because Jesus died and conquers death, that he resurrects uh, so we can have Uh, abundant life here on earth and that we can have eternal life for all eternity because of what Jesus has done. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at first the the narrative of Palm Sunday. I want to look at the story of Palm Sunday, uh, the triumphal entry to really prepare us for Easter. And then the second thing I want to do is I, I want us to see the heart of Jesus so that we can be encouraged by the heart of Jesus this Palm Sunday and that we can also recalibrate our lives and our hearts up against his heart. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19 will be in uh, 28 through 44 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we have Bibles provided on the seats here, and uh, we also have it on the screen. And so go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that uh, Bible provided on the seat there at home. It's our gift to you. We'd be really glad for you to have that. Luke 19, 28 through 44, we'll land there uh, shortly, but you can go ahead and start working your way there. Um, Today, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. It's all going to go down in Jerusalem over the next week. His followers, we see today, they're cheering him on. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Those aren't just cute songs that we sing. Those are scripture uh, words that we sing. And so this account is recorded of the triumphal entry in all four of the gospels or the accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. But we're going to look at Luke because one thing I really love about uh, Luke and his gospel and his writing is the fact that Luke was a physician. He was a medical doctor. And so obviously details are very important. If you have a doctor doing surgery on you, you you really pray that he uh, pays close attention to detail. And he's uh, one who pays close attention to detail. Uh, He was later commissioned by a government official named Theophilus to compile uh, evidence and and, uh, really eyewitness testimony of the life of Jesus, hence the book of Luke and uh, the book of of Acts as well. And so I love Luke that he gives a lot of detail. He's wordier than the other uh, three gospel records. He gives greater detail. And in this particular instance, uh, one occasion where he gives greater detail is the fact that in verses 41 through 44, he tags something on to what happens at the triumphal entry that is really a really beautiful, strong picture of the heart of Jesus. And so we're going to land there in a minute. Uh, but you remember not long ago we had a presidential election? You remember that? 
Some of you guys were really passionate about it one way or another. Uh, but you remember the presidential election? Some of you may have stayed up late to watch Obama as he, he won and he gives his speech. And Romney, you know, right after Romney gives his speech of defeat, Obama then gives his speech of victory. And it was one of those times where the fans are just going crazy. They're chanting. They're singing goofy songs. They're, they're cheering. They're, they're celebrating. It was just a room full of just people just going nuts for uh, the, the president, the reelected president. Now, there were some, some, uh, some opponents in the room, probably a few Fox News reporters in the back corner, you know, so they could do their, their news work. But generally speaking, it was a room full of people just going nuts and excited. It was a moment of celebration. If you watch these, uh, these speeches, they can hardly get a word out because everybody's just going nuts for them. So they say uh, you know, a, f- a few words and then everybody cheers. And they say a few words and everybody cheers. It, uh, the, the fanfare was just overwhelming uh, in this occasion as was uh, his, his initial election as well. This is probably for him one of the most exciting times of his life. I mean, can you just imagine? Uh, this is kind of just the pinnacle for him. It's exciting. This is just a joyous moment that he's been reelected, and everybody has affirmed that they want him to be uh, the president or to continue that. But imagine with me, he's up and he's speaking and everybody's going nuts. And just imagine the president just starts sobbing. He just loses it and just starts sobbing. And they're not tears of joy. Imagine that he just starts sobbing tears of sorrow in this amazing celebrative time. It would seem a little bit out of place. It would seem strange. It would seem not very fitting for the occasion of celebration. And that's where we find Jesus today. It's a moment of unbelievable celebration. So today, Palm Sunday, we celebrate and we sing, and it's this moment of personal accomplishment for Christ. He's at the height of his celebrity. However, he weeps. He just just loses it, and he, and he weeps, and we get this awesome look at the heart of God. Last Sunday, we looked at the resurrection of Lazarus, but just before the resurrection of Lazarus, we saw that Jesus, when he sees Mary, he weeps, and he weeps with her over her being brokenhearted about uh, the loss of her brother. And then this Sunday, we see Jesus weep uh, again over the city of Jerusalem who rejects him. And I think it's really important to see Jesus weeping here. I just love the heart of our God displayed in this text. And so let's get into it and let's read. Let's start with 28 through 35. It says, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they, sent G- or they set Jesus on it. We'll stop there. Now, for t- some time now, the, the ministry of Jesus has been working its way towards uh, Jerusalem, where he would do his great work on uh, the cross, and some of his greatest teaching even. Uh, now, he's been gearing up for this time, and now it's, it's go time. It's game on. Uh, 
His life on earth, his incarnation, wasn't just so that he could be a good teacher to us. A lot of people see Jesus as a great teacher. He was. It wasn't just so that he could be an example to us of how to love and how to treat people. He was that, but he was not just that. Jesus came, his life on earth ultimately was so that he could end up in this city and die this nasty, brutal, humiliating death on a cross as was foretold long, long, long ago to, to die. And so this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it's told in all four Gospels, as I told you, uh, each kind of give little pieces of the story. And so if I fill in some gaps and you say, that wasn't, that wasn't in there, it's coming from the other Gospel uh, records. But what's going on is, is Jesus is staying uh, in Bethany and in, uh, near Bethphage. And, and the book of John will add that just before entering into Jerusalem here, that Jesus was having dinner with Lazarus, as you know, he recently resurrected him from the dead, along with Lazarus' uh, sisters Mary and Martha. John tells us that uh, large crowds of Jewish people were coming uh, to Jesus and that they were also coming to see Lazarus, this guy who was dead for four days and who is now alive. Amazing miracle of, of Jesus. And so people are coming uh, to see Jesus and they're also coming uh, to see uh, Lazarus. And I just point this out so that you can just think about the fact that Jesus at this place in his ministry, he's at the, the height of his celebrity. I mean, he is at the absolute height of his celebrity. He could have stayed and signed more autographs and healed more people. He could have preached more. I mean, if, if ever at any point in his ministry, people were ready and receptive to hear what Jesus had to say, now would have been the time. He just healed a dead guy and brought him back to life after four days. But know this, Jesus had somewhere to go. He had something to do. He was going to, to lay down his life as the sacrifice, as the death row replacement for, for us in our place, for our sins. And so he's rolling into Jerusalem. He sends two of his disciples ahead of him to go get a colt. And he tells them, I want you to get this colt that no one has has ever sat on before. Uh, he, he's tied up. I want you to untie him. I want you to bring him to me. Now, if anyone says, hey, that's my colt. What are you doing? You just simply say, the Lord has need of it. So he's anticipating the fact that people just know who Jesus is when they say the Lord. This is where he's at, at his ministry. People aren't going to argue. Uh, so that's exactly what happens. In Boston, we have carjackings. In Palestine, they had colt jacking, I guess. And that's what Jesus does. Um, this is direct fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, 9 and 10. And here's what it says. It says, Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humbled and mounting, mounted on a, a donkey. And so our Jewish friends have miss Jesus, the Messiah, because they were waiting for this spectacular entrance. I always think about Aladdin. You remember Prince Ali, and he comes in, and I, I think that's what they're, they're, they're picturing, but right here in, in, in our Old Testament, there, Tanakh, Zechariah predicts, uh, righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, not an elephant like in Aladdin, that he was to come humbly, and he did, and he came so humbly that they missed it. Now, let's, let's read on 36 through 40. It says, And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones 
would cry out. So he's pressing forward down the slope with his mission. They began to carpet the ground, red carpet the ground for him with, with coats. And John and uh, Matthew and, and Mark uh, also will say that, that they lay out palm branches uh, for him. Now, coats and palm branches on the ground. It's just this beautiful picture of uh, their submission and the respect of Jesus as king. Also, palm branches were a, a, a Jewish national symbol. And so these worshipers were beginning to get it, right? They were beginning to really understand that he is their long-awaited Jewish uh, Davidic uh, king that he would eventually rule over Jerusalem. That's why we have him walking on top of uh, a Jewish national symbol because they recognize you are going to rule over Jerusalem. And so as he's walking into Jerusalem, many people are hoping and wrongly picturing that he is going to come in in this instance as this, uh, this military king and he's going to show up and he's going to whip up on Roman rule who has been oppressing them. They're hoping for a political uh, military king Jesus who's going to lead Israel to their independence. Now, that's what they're hoping for, but that's not what he's coming to do. He's going for something even greater that he's going to not defeat Rome. He's going to defeat Satan, that dark force uh, for all history uh, since creation. He's going to defeat uh, that Satan. So they carpet the ground before him. They're rejoicing. They're praising. They're singing his praises. They sing, blessed is uh, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Praise in heaven, glory in the highest. They're starting, you see, they're starting to get pieces of it. They're seeing who Jesus is, that he is worthy of praise, that he comes in the name of the Lord. But they might even be missing the fact that, no, he He's not just coming in the name of the Lord, that he himself, he is the Lord. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the, the Father. Colossians 1.15 will say, he is the image of the invisible God, that God has come to earth and lived among us, become one of us, taken on human flesh, so that when you ever wonder, what does God look like if he were one of us? How do I be godly? You look at Jesus, right? And so, when they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they need to also understand that he is not just the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He is the Lord. And so they're praising him, and they're saying also, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Again, not recorded here, but recorded in the other accounts. It's a quote from Psalm 118. Hosanna means save. It also means uh, save us now. What's cool about the word Hosanna, as uh, Becky said in worship a few weeks back, is that it's a request And it's also a praise. It's a request, God, please save us. But it's also a praise. We're acknowledging, God, that you can save us. It's a request and a praise. And so they're worshiping, but they're only worshiping in part. They're expecting Jesus to whip up on Rome. And Jesus is going to whip up on the enemy, Satan, sin. And the last enemy that he will defeat, as we saw last week, is death. He's going to give us life. And so they worship him with cloaks and branches and and singing uh, songs and quoting Bible psalms. Uh, but John twelve sixteen will tell us that Jesus' disciples, they did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. In other words, they didn't fully get it, but once he was glorified, once he resurrected to life, at that point, God allowed the light switch to go on, and they say, truly, this man was the Son of God. They, they get it. They didn't fully get it until he accomplished the mission However, Jesus lets them declare, he lets them praise, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise and glory, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Verse 39, look at it. 
Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. These guys were ripped. They were, they were angry. They knew their Bible very well, and they knew exactly what was going on. They're thinking, he has staged a Zechariah 9, 9 right here. King coming into Jerusalem, humble on a donkey, bringing salvation. We know exactly what you're doing, Jesus. Shut them up, right? They are, they are angry. Jesus then turns around and rebukes these Pharisees, and he says this. He says, if they don't declare this truth, the rocks will cry out. I will be worshipped, Jesus says. And Jesus says that to all of us today. I will be worshipped. Scriptures say, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every knee shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Question is, are you going to do it now? Or are you going to stay silent and let all creation sing his praise? Or are you going to do it when it's too late on the other side of the grave? We plead with you to do it now. Up to this point, in the ministry, uh, Jesus didn't really openly declare that he was the Messiah because it would cause a ruckus prematurely. But now is the time he's openly declaring, not just insinuating, he's openly declaring, coming humble and on a, on a donkey, he is declaring, I am the Messiah. It will enrage many of you like it did the Pharisees. And you will kill me, but that's why I'm here, is to lay my life down. So while some are singing his praises, some are scowling and and plotting his death. Some are worshiping and some are conspiring. And that's kind of how it is today, right? Some of us will sing his praises and maybe mocked for it. And others will scowl. But we want to do what he's called us to do and and, and do it in full confidence. Now, in Luke 19, 41 through 44, this is where I want to um, land the plane for the rest of our time because it is it is beautiful, and it is uh, very appropriate for our context where we find ourselves today. And so let's read it. it. says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that were made for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, And surrounds you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. And you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's saying this uh, literally. This will come about for Jerusalem. And figuratively this will come about for all of us who reject the, the Lord. Get this image. Jesus is descending, riding on this red carpet of cloaks and of coats. People are singing his praises. They're, they're, they're worshiping him. They're excited about him. They're, they're, they're cheering him on. And as he gets that last slope coming over the western ridge, the city rises in the horizon into view. And bam, at that moment, he's just flooded with emotion. And he just wept over it. And that word wept is not like a couple tears dropped out of his eye. It it means wailing aloud. Wouldn't that just seem strange? Everybody's singing your praises. You're at the the height of your celebrity. And he just starts sobbing right there. Just going, just just losing. He lost it. 
And he says, if you would have only known that this day was meant for peace, some of them are going to reject him and, and judgment will come and the place will be destroyed. He says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't really acknowledge that God was here with you and must trust him. And so he wept and he declared judgment. He was both compassionate and holy at the same time. We tend to like one of those. In our country, we really like compassionate Jesus. In other countries, they don't quite get the grace of Jesus. They'd rather him be completely just and just alone. But he's both compassionate and holy. And so he, he weeps and he declares judgment. He must declare judgment because he is perfect and he is just. But he also must save people because he is loving and compassionate. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to because that's his nature. And in his justice, history will tell us that Jerusalem fell in AD 70 because they rejected him. It literally, this prophecy of Jesus comes true. And uh, they rejected him. But verse 42, he came for, for peace. He came for, for peace. He's not surprised that they rejected him. Uh, he was heartbroken, but, but not surprised. He, he just wets the, the carpet before him with his tears, uh, with great compassion. And again, last Sunday we saw uh, the resurrection of Lazarus. And just before the resurrection of, of Lazarus, just before the miracle when Jesus sees Mary and he weeps with her. And then this Sunday we see Jesus uh, weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And it's such a strong picture to see the all-powerful God weeping. He didn't have to weep, but the all-powerful God weeping. I want you to see this, that, that, that Jesus' greatest displays of power are, are often coupled with displays of pity. If you look throughout the, the life of Jesus, that his greatest displays of power, where he flexes his position and his, his, uh, his power, they're often also coupled with displays of pity or with compassion. And just the purity of the heart of God is incredible. You put me or put you or many people in uh, this same position, and the power quickly goes to our heads, doesn't it? People get puffed up. They, they quickly get self-consumed. It's it's crazy, and people are often surprised when they see a man or a woman who gets power and position and how they, they flip quickly and they, they kind of goes to their head and they turn on people. It's amazing, but not for Jesus. He's burdened for these people. He, he, he loves them. He cares for them. And so we see his power and that he's coming in. They're, they're declaring his position, and yet at the same time, he's, he's pitied for them, and he loves them, and he cares for them, and so he, he weeps. In our culture... We are so used to seeing power and position abused, aren't we? So it's kind of hard to imagine. Perhaps you've seen power and position used to cause physical harm on you or somebody you love. Perhaps you've seen power and position caused or used to, to cause emotional harm on you or somebody you love. Maybe you've seen power, as we often do historically speaking, to bring about oppression, the exaltation of one but the oppression of another. But Jesus' power and position often, if not always, uh, are really balanced out by, by pity, by compassion. So last week, he powerfully resurrects Lazarus. This amazing act of power is also balanced by the fact that he, he pities and weeps with uh, Martha or, or with Mary. I think about 
his, his power as seen in Revelation chapter 1, which we allude to here quite a bit because it's such an amazing pi- picture. When John sees him in all of his majesty, not clothed uh, in, in the humility of walking on the earth, but in all of his glory and all of his majesty, and John sees him, Revelation chapter 1, in this power, in this position, and he falls at his feet as though dead. You see power, but then you see that God has pity on him, compassion for him, and that he puts his hand on him and he says, fear not. It's this beautiful balance of power and position. And then in this instance, on Palm Sunday, his position of celebrity, and he's coming in, and he could just march right past him, say, let me get this done, nail me on the cross, I'm going to resurrect and blow your mind. But instead, he balances his power and his position with pity for the city of Jerusalem before their, their impending judgment. And I want to leave us today just really meditating on verse 41, that he saw the city and that he, he wept over it saw it and he, he wept over it. And we can learn a lot from the tears of Jesus, that he sheds tears for them, that he goes on and he sheds more than tears. He sheds blood for them. That's what his mission was. That's what he was sent for. His compassion is coupled with his action, that he doesn't just have compassion on them, but he has compassion to the extent that he's moved. He kept marching forward into the city where he's going to lay down his life. And this, this has to be true for us as well if we want to follow in his footsteps and his example, not that we can save the world, but that we want our compassion to be coupled with action. I'll say it this way. Our, our compassion must be connected with our commission. Our, our compassion must be connected with our commission, our, our great commission. In Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 36, Jesus sees uh, a crowd of people and he has compassion on them. And then in the next verses in 37 and 38, He gives us that famous text. After having compassion on the people, he then turns around and says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You see how his compassion is connected with the mission, the commission that we all have. He he connects those two uh, frequently. Our our commission as Christians is to, to love the world and to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says in, in John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so we don't just say, wow, Jesus had great compassion and he was really focused on what he was sent to do, but we say, wow, we need to have that compassion as well for people who are without the Lord, who are rejecting the Lord. And we need to be engaged in this uh, commission as well. See, his compassion was coupled with action. And we too need to be so compassionate and mission-minded, and, 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 and mission-driven like Christ. I just pray that this would be true of us, that we, this Easter, would bask in the power of the resurrection of, of Jesus, but that it would also be balanced by pitying those people who don't have that power displayed in their lives, that we would cry for those people who are without Jesus, that we would, we would weep over the lostness of our city. We would le- weep over the lostness of the Parkway region, the neighborhoods that we are, are here to, to serve and to love, that we would pray for them, that we would reach into their lives, that we would care for them, that we would share with them the story of how Jesus has changed our lives. Uh, maybe just simply we need to invite them to, to Easter Sunday, that we would have compassion for people. We, we would care for them. I, I, I've told you before that um, when I was younger, I had a, a teacher at, at church tell me, he said, he said, Josh, one of the coolest prayers I think you can possibly pray 
is to ask God to give you the eyes of Christ. I started praying that prayer um, when he mentioned that to me, and it really did a number on me. And I want to say that to you, that one of the coolest prayers you can pray is say, God, give me the eyes of Jesus, that I could start to look at people the way Jesus looks at people, and I stop looking at them for how they treat me, because these people treated Jesus terribly. But I'd start to look at them for maybe the root of why they treat me the way they treat me. I'd stop looking at people for how mean they are and how vile they are, but I'd start looking at people for the fact that they don't have Jesus in their lives. These people are going to nail Jesus to a cross, and rather than saying, watch out, let me show you what I'm about to do, nail me to the cross, I'm going to hop off. Instead, he weeps over them. And I pray that that would increasingly be us, that we would be a people who have compassion, the way Jesus had compassion. Now, many of us maybe right now, you're recognizing the fact that you struggle with compassion. I don't quite have the compassion of Jesus. The answer is not, go be compassionate. Far too often, that's what we try to do in church. We try to stand up, we try to preach, we try to manipulate you to leave with resolve in your heart that I will go do this, I will go be this. But listen, that's not the gospel, is it? The gospel is you didn't do it, Jesus did it, right? And so I don't want to send you out the week before Easter so central to the gospel and say, go be resolved to be compassionate. Can't do it. That's not how it works. Instead, the answer is, Get your eyes on Jesus, not go be compassionate. And as you get your eyes on Jesus, his heart slowly starts to become your heart. He starts to shift you when you say, wow, he is amazing. How does he do that? He's God. He's so majestic. They're going to nail God to the cross, and yet somehow he can weep for them. He can care for them. He can wash their feet. He can hang naked on a cross. For them. It's just amazing. The answer is not go be compassionate. The answer is fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I just long for us to increasingly grow in being a compassionate people. And I look at you and you are a compassionate people. I just pray for more of that, more of that. Don't resolve to be more compassionate. Resolve to see Jesus as compassionate and let that change you. Let it change you. Similar with my wife and I. I don't resolve to love her better. I resolve to get to know her better. And then I respond out of how great she is. That's the kind of love that she desires. That's the kind of love that the world needs. That's how we go and do this. Is as we look at Jesus and we respond in compassion. Maybe some of us in here um, today, we're, we're starting just to see the the compassion of Jesus, and when we see Jesus weeping, we see him weeping over us because we've rejected him. And maybe that's exactly what you need to hear today is that Jesus weeps over you. He weeps over the fact that you are rebelling against him, that you are running from him, that he loves you, and he has a great plan for you, and that he dies for you and your sin. And that resurrection power is available to you, and he's weeping because of you. He's weeping because of of you, and so maybe in this time you need to say yes to Jesus and say, I'm, I'm going to stop running. I'm going to just give my life to you, Jesus. Thank you for the fact that you love me so much, that you would die for me, 
that you would be so focused on that mission that you would keep marching into that city and later in the week you would, you would die. And so I want to invite some of us in here who have never given our lives to Jesus today to, to give your life to Jesus and to say yes to him, to, to recognize that in my sin I am dying and I will be dying eternally, but that Jesus came and lived perfectly, not deserving death, yet he died in our place. And he resurrected, beating death, and he wants to beat death for you, that though you die, yet you shall live, we saw last week. And so some of you just need to surrender to him and turn from sin and turn to Jesus and say yes to Jesus. Others of us in here, we need to get our eyes on Jesus, press into him, pray to him, read about him, so that you can become compassionate as he is compassionate. Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing scripture and this amazing picture of your heart that you weep over us. You weep over those who reject you. God, I pray that we would sit in that. We would, we would just really feel you wailing aloud over us. And that for those who are rejecting you, Lord, that you would do something deep in their hearts and they would turn to you in this time. They would feel the love and the embrace of Jesus. You would become the Lord of their life. You would become their everything, their hope, their future. The resurrection and the life. May they call out to you in this time. For those of us in this room who we need more compassion in our hearts. Lord, may we clothe ourselves with compassion as it says in the scripture. May we look to you. May you change our hearts. That we would display compassion and love to our neighbors, to our family, to this city. That you would light this place up, Lord which is the love and the hope of Jesus through us. You don't need us, but it's your intention to use us. And so we're so thankful for that. And we ask you to do that. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.